Hello there, and welcome back to the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Norton. Here in episode 39, I chat with Jamie Schreier from Practice Freedom U about the seven steps to a seven-figure business. Jamie shares a wealth of valuable information. Even if you don't have the goal of a seven-figure business, you can use these steps to avoid burnout and achieve that much-needed work-life balance, however you define it. Even for those of us who may be working toward an 80 or 100K business, these steps are golden. Let's get started. Have you been wanting to start your private practice, but you can't seem to take that first step? Maybe you're afraid of failure or lack confidence, or maybe the idea of running your own practice is overwhelming. I'm Cindy Norton, owner of Mountain Practice Journeys, and I help therapists and counselors to love the business side of private practice. I'll share with you practical skills and advice, along with a healthy dose of inspiration so that you can be on your way to the practice of your dreams. Put on your hiking boots and let's get going. If you haven't yet listened to episode 38, I urge you to do that. In that episode, I encourage collaboration over competition while highlighting the importance of gratitude and abundance. Now let's get on to my interview with Jamie. Welcome, everyone, back to the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast. Today, I'm with Jamie Schreier of Practice Freedom U, and today we're going to be talking about seven steps to a seven-figure business. So welcome, Jamie. Welcome, Cindy. Appreciate you having me on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to to dig in, but first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm an Aquarius. I am married with two kids. No, um, all those are true, actually. Um, but um, so I guess my my journey began as um, as, a, as a practice owner, uh, just like uh, uh, most of the people or all the people that will be listening. Um, I'm a physical therapist by trade who always just had that bug to do my own thing. Right. I just didn't like the way some of the people I was working for were operating their business and some of the things that they did. I was like, hmm, I don't know how how kosher that is. And uh, always wanted to have my own thing. Thought I was good at business. My dad had a small business and I was like, okay, I can do this. I'm, I'm, I'm talented. I'm good at my craft. So I went out on my own and did my own thing. And I was what's called a kind of solopreneur now. Back then, I'm not even sure what they really called it, but I was kind of moonlighting, uh, kind of a old dated myself with that term, but it was, uh, it was, it was a solopreneur type of thing. And and my wife was handling the front desk and I was doing all the treatment and it was wonderful and I loved it. And then as we started to grow and as we started to hire, I just started noticing a little bit more anxiety, a little bit more anxiousness and working more hours, not less, which is kind of weird. You're supposed to work <laughs> less hours as you hire people that help you do things. But I was working more. Um, and that really uh, started taking a toll on me, sort of taking toll of my relationship with my wife, which I'm sure you can appreciate <laughs> being relationship experts. And um, so I just wasn't in a great place about this was about three years into business. And then a fire hit. My place burned to the ground. I was coming home. Crazy story. I was coming home from the beach. Um, this was one of our few getaway weekends. It was my son's in the car and my wife's in the car and my wife gets a phone call. Um, one of those little flip phone phones, not, <laughs> not, the, not the cool thing now, the flip phones. And um, it's my father-in-law. And she's like, um, what? What? I'm like, what? What? What happened? She turns to me and I'm driving and she goes, um, my my dad just says, I just saw your, your building on TV. It looks like it's burning down. And I looked at her without skipping a beat. I'm driving on the highway. And I said, good. I hope it's my suite. And I hope it burns to the ground. Wow. Yeah. That was the level of stress I was at. That was the level of, I didn't sign up for working 60, 70 hours a week. I don't mind putting the work and the effort in, but I didn't sign up for that. So this became like a moment, right? I pull up and they're throwing all your equipment out. They're throwing your brand new, you know, diplomas that I finally got redone on nice wood. They're throwing those out. And, um, you know, I had a a few months to kind of think about it. And I was like, what do I do? 
I wasn't really happy doing this. I didn't want to be one of those people who just worked on the time. I want to have that work-life balance, whatever the heck that was. I just wanted to have it because it sounded like it was really cool. But I also wanted to make some money because uh, I live in a, I live outside of Washington, D.C. It's not inexpensive to live here. And my wife wants things, my kids. So um, I, I decided instead of quitting, which I did comp- contemplate, I decided like, you know what? I'm going to be a student. I'm going to go back and be a student of how do you build a business? Being a clinician and building a business are two different things I discovered. So that's what I did, Cindy. For nine years, I just poured a lot of money, a lot of time learning, well, learning how not to do a lot of things, but then figuring out how to do a few things. So nine years later, after that fire to almost the day in 2013, I had a business that had a fantastic team. We were serving a great number of people. We were doing it at the highest level that I wanted, that I demanded, and I had control over my time. I was making money. I was with my family. I was supporting my team. And then soon after that, I was like, maybe I should share what what I did. And then that started me on this journey of, of coaching and helping other private practice owners get their version of what we now call that practice freedom. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I do something similarly because I see a lot of therapists that are recreating their agency work in their private practice. And, you know, you go into private practice so you can have more freedom um, and the potential to make more money. But a lot of times we do get into the trap of just recreating what was happening in our agency jobs. Maybe we're working 50 or 60 hours a week and, and just becoming even more stressed out. So I think it's really important. And I love what you did. And it was, yeah something big like that fire that sucks. That was probably, you know, one of the worst things, but one of the best things that could have happened because it seems like it was like a reset and it was, it, it was pressing the reset button. Yeah. Sure. In a not the easy way. button, not, <laughs> no. not the staples, easy button. No, it was the reset button because I was asking for a reset. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I was asking, I was like, you know, I, I you know, and, and I'm sure there's people that see this, like you're sitting in your business, you're, you're working with, you know, and obviously we're focused and caring for our, for our clients and we're working there, but maybe afterwards we're just like, okay, that was my 10th client today. I'm seeing clients tomorrow and the next day and then the next week. And I'm like, is, just, is this just what it is for the next 10 years? And I saw my next 10 years and I went, this doesn't excite me. Mm-hmm. This, this kind of depresses me, even though it shouldn't depress me. So then I felt guilty about being depressed <laughs> about trying to treat and help people, which is the reason I went into the field. So now I'm just a mental mess, but this is, I mean, I, I, I can't deny it. This is just how I felt. And I realize a lot of us feel that way. We have a lot of this guilt moving around, but we're just not doing what we really want to do. Yeah. A lot of times that guilt can come up and you think, oh, well, people have it worse than me, or I should be grateful that I have my own practice and that I have all these clients, but it's, not to the detriment of your own mental health. Exactly. And now, I mean, with, with COVID in the last, you know, 18, 19 months, it's even more evident because the, the stress, the mental stress that I'm sure you've seen and so many people have seen is even more so, and it's creating this massive divide. And the divide is the people that were not in a good place or did not have a sound business, they're suffering even more. Mm-hmm. And the and the people that did, and there's not many, but the people that did are thriving. So you're creating this, this even more uneven or unfair, so to speak, divide. And I'm just like, it doesn't have to be that way. It shouldn't be that way because we are caregivers. We are healers at heart. And it doesn't mean you can't do fantastic work and take care of yourself as well, both financially, mentally, emotionally, and all the other things you love to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've been seeing as a therapist just this past year or so therapists are burning out in record numbers because yep. more people are seeking support, which is wonderful. Like therapists are even brand new therapists that have just opened their practices are full right now, which is amazing because people are seeking mental health treatment. The stigma is really decreasing and yep. it's a wonderful thing, but also therapists are really burning out. Cause like you said, there's this big divide where maybe people who have had their systems set up in their business and it's going really well, they're probably 
probably thriving right now, but the therapists that maybe just started out and were, you know, maybe working those 50, 60 hour weeks, even before the pandemic are really struggling right now. A hundred percent. I have, a, I have a client, uh, she has a, a, a group uh, mental health practice and, and she has, every time I talk to her, it goes up. I think she has 800 people on a waiting list. Wow. 800 people that are not able to get help. And it's, 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 it's crazy um, that, you know, there's, there's a shortage of therapists and all that, but for the, and, and she's doing very well, that's just more of opportunity right there. If you're looking at helping people and generating revenue for your business, the smaller people are the ones that are like, be careful what you wish for. Now you have tons of people. There's more, like you mentioned, the stigma is going down. There's more commercials about it. Celebrities and athletes are coming out, which is fantastic. Um, but it's still a business, right? And you have to look at it as a business, not a clinician, because how you build a business that delivers um, services is literally 180 degrees opposite on how you look at it from a clinical standpoint. Um, and, and that's where it's it can get really muddy and confusing and cause even more stress and angst on the on the provider themselves who are trying to deliver and help other people. But like you said, we're no good to anybody if, mm-hmm. if we don't keep ourselves at a very high level and keep our tank full. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I love what you're doing in that you've experienced this and you've come out on the other side of it and you've got these things in place to where you can really help other people in private practice to be able to not fall into that trap of, you know, hating their job and thinking, oh, this is going to be so great. And then you get into it and it's like, this is not what I thought it would be. So being able to uh, implement some of these things and come up with different strategies. So um, let's dig into that and see what you've learned and what you can share with other people. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I'll start it off with, this isn't, uh, as uh, one of my uh, coaches say, this isn't rocket surgery. <laughs> Think about that one for a second. Going, what is rocket surgery? Go, exactly. <laughs> um, this isn't rocket surgery. Anyone can do this, right? Anyone can do this. It, it really comes down to what it is that you want. So the first thing I want to do is just kind of get a lay of the land on, you know, just like as, 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 you know, human beings, we have an evolution of where we are in life. We're at the infancy, toddler uh, age, and then the adolescence age, God, God help us. And then we're <laughs> at the young adult age, and then the adult age, and then the senior age. Um, I'd like to kind of relate that to our stages of private practice. So there are stages of private practice. These are the stages in our business. And the first stage is kind of that infancy stage. You're, you're the solopreneur, which I imagine... Uh, where most people uh, that are that are listening here start out. That's where I started out. I was a solopreneur, and and that's someone that is just starting out. That maybe is generating up to three, four hundred thousand dollars in revenue. That's all still considered the solopreneur. You're basically doing it all. Maybe you have an assistant. Maybe you don't. But it's all on you. Um, the good news is you are in control. Um, depending how busy you are, you, you may have time, but if you have a lot of time, you probably don't have a lot of clients, which means you're not making the money you need to pay at least yourself and and your overhead. Um, and then, you know, as you begin to get busier and we'll talk about some of those things that you do, but as you tend to get busier and start to hire staff, your revenue will go up and your stage of business will get into kind of this young adult Phase And this young adult phase is kind of like, I, I call it the more of the transition phase, because as you start to hire people, it's a transition because now it's not just you taking care of your people. It's you're still probably having close to a full load, but now you have all these other people and you're like, wait a minute, now I'm managing other people and their personalities, hoping and praying they have the same values I do, which a lot of them don't. Um, So now you get into this world of overwhelmness. It becomes frustrated. And when I share the story of I was so frustrated, I was in this world. And this is more of your 400,000 in revenue to perhaps up to a million. And you start to get to that 
seven figure. So in this group, the good news is you do have people, you're able to generate, you know, more money, you're able to see more people, but things get really confusing and complicated at this phase. Um, and we'll go into some of the reasons why and, and some of the you know opportunities that you have. And then the next phase I look at is really the growth stage of, of uh, private practice. This is where you're doing one to $3 million in revenue. You're in that um, young adult phase. You're out of the adolescence phase and the craziness of adolescence. You're in the young adult. You know some things now. You're starting to put some management in place. Um, and then the next phase is really your adult phase. That's more like your three to $10 million company. Uh, this is where it's, it's more about uh, leadership and, and some of those things that you read about. Um, so those are the different phases um, or, or the stages. Um, the, the one that I want to, uh, when I talk about these seven steps to seven-figure business, I want to really focus, if it's okay with you, on starting from that solopreneur stage and building up to that seven-figure business and what are the steps that it takes to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with each stage, it's uh, it's something different because like you were talking about at the very end, it really is more of that leadership role and that's going to look a lot different than when it's just you and your business. Yeah, and, and Cindy, what happens is because there's so many darn experts and gurus out there and so much information that's being thrown at us. It's hard to decipher what's relevant to me and what's not, because it all sounds good, but solving a problem that's not really relevant to you is going to cause really lots of problems. Yeah. Right. Trying to address an issue that's not the issue causes a hundred times more issue. So what I found is trying to, simplify. I'm a simplifier. I like to keep things as simple as possible. Not the smartest person in the world. I probably wouldn't get into school right now um, because it's a lot harder to get into school, but I'm a simplifier. So let's just say we're a solopreneur. And the the first thing we have to start as a solopreneur, the first step is establishing our vision. This isn't some Cockamamie, oh, I don't really need a vision. I just need to get new patients. Yes, you do need to get patients. But look, if I said to you, Cindy, I'm sending you on a trip. You're going on a trip, all expense paid vacation. What's I'll be super thing? excited. You're super excited. You're like, great. You go home and you're like, I need to pack. Jamie's sending me on a trip. What's the first question you need to ask yourself? Where am I going? Yes, where? Because where you're going will decide what you pack. It'll decide how you actually get there. If you have a doggy, it'll decide, are you going to take the dog with you? Or you have to put the dog in a kennel? Can a neighbor watch it for a day? Right? Mm -hmm. So there's so many things that happen when you know where your destination is. And that's just another word for vision, right? And there's different levels of vision. And when I talk about vision, I'm not talking about one of those corny vision statements. They have their place, but we're at the beginning stages of this. What are we trying to build? What are we trying to create? The the, the biggest challenge I see, Cindy, with this is I see people not allowing themselves to go back to their own childhood and dream. Mm -hmm. And just pretend you're at Disney World and just be like, oh, my God, I'm a fairy princess or I'm this person. And just dream and pretend we're too we get too much in our heads of, well, I can't tell you what I really want because I don't know how to get there. Mm-hmm. And we get we get stuck in the how. When we talk about truly. Dreaming and getting, well, what is it you want if anything was possible? What truly inspires you? That's that's what we're talking about here. So establishing your vision. Where do you want to be three years from now? Where do you want to be five years from now? Heck, where do you want to be one year from now? If anything was possible, because that will be your guide to help you then make some decisions right now to help you move towards that. Yeah, so I that's, think that's 
Step one. Yeah, that's really important because I don't think uh, we allow ourselves to dream because so many things will come in and be like, oh, that's not possible. Or here's the reasons why I can't do that. And that that just blocks us. You know, I think really um, setting aside time to dream and having no limits around it and believing that anything is possible and staying in that for a little bit. We, we have private companies going into space private companies that no one thought was possible. You can't do that. You can't do that. If they listened to that, they wouldn't be doing that. Mm -hmm. If, if we listen to why you can't do something, if we listen to the research of why, which of course all of us have been in school listening to, it starts to create this skepticism and that limits the ability to actually create and grow, which is what, we're all about, we're all about create and innovate and grow. And if you have your own business, whether you look at yourself like that or not, you're an entrepreneur, dare I say, you're an entrepreneur. You're relying, and my definition of an entrepreneur is someone that is completely relying of their own efforts to financially support them. Mm -hmm. That's an entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur. So by, by having time to really set that vision, and it, it can change and it will change, that, that's step number one. Mm-hmm. Once you establish that, step number two is understanding the people you want to serve. So this is your ideal client. This is your target audience. You, you and I um, were, were talking before we jumped on about some of the things that you were doing. Mm-hmm. And you're doing all kinds of cool things, right? Mm-hmm. You have your, your own practice. Uh, you're obviously doing your podcast. You're, you're doing some other things to help uh, some, some practice owners. And you're also doing some website design. And it's <laughs> like, okay, well, that's great. But there's a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And there's only you. And there's only so much time. So we want to answer the question, who is it that we want to serve? Who is our ideal client that we want to help? It's not that we're going to say no to other people, but Confucius say, he who chases two rabbits catches none. The more scattered we are, the more we're trying to help everyone with everything, we'll just end up all over the place. Mm-hmm. So in, in this, this step two on moving towards a seven-figure business or in growing your business, you really want to get clear on the people you want to help. You want to dial in who is the person that you are built to help the most. It doesn't mean other people won't come. It doesn't mean you can't help them. But we need to get really clear because this is what we're going to use in the next step as we begin to build and grow our company. Definitely. Yeah, I can relate to being in that scattered place. Definitely before the pandemic, um, just trying to do too many things because I had so many interests. And I'm like, well, I can do this and I can help these people. Um, And it spread me way too thin. So I, yeah, throughout the pandemic, I had a lot of time to think and really clarify. So I have you know, simplified my business so much and got really focused. And it's been amazing yeah. what that has, just because I can do something doesn't mean that I should. And being able to, um, you know, find that one rabbit to chase, because I was probably chasing like six or seven of them. Yeah, no, for sure. And we, and we are all guilty of that. And it starts right here because when we're a solopreneur, when we're in the infancy of, of our business, we're about seeing anybody and everybody to generate money. And I get that. I was there, but we have to be conscious of what we are trying to accomplish and not just be everything to anybody, because before you know it, you're going to be full. Mm -hmm. It's not if you're going to be full, especially in the mental health world, you're going to be full. I mean, even in the, in in the healthcare world that I'm in, you know, with injury, there's not a lack of people out there that need our services, any of the health and wellness services. Mm -hmm. There's not a lack of people. The problem is there's not enough businesses that are well run to help serve these people the best without burning ourselves out. Yeah. That's the biggest issue. But of course, we don't have that confidence when we initially start. So hopefully these these steps will give you some things to think about. Mm -hmm. So once you establish that, and again, we're talking about more of the solopreneur person, um, you want to focus on building your referral network. All right. You do need clients in the door. And you do have time on your hands because, 
You're not busy yet. So building your referral network. This is really all about developing relationships that can turn into one to many. Meaning that if you talk to one person, hey, you know, I'm feeling like I have some whatever issues, I'm having problems with my spouse. Sure, you can come in. But if you talk to someone that has influence over hundreds of people like that, and you're able to develop that relationship and, and support that person, that person can send you multiple people every month. So we are all considered specialists. Nobody says, um, yeah, I want the uh, marriage counselor, but just give me any old one. I don't know. I don't even care if they even like it. Just just give me anybody. Nobody asks for that person. Mm-hmm. Who do you know that specializes in marriage counseling? Who do you know that specializes with this? Mm-hmm. We're specialists. So by clearly identifying what we do well and communicating that, we're able to build our referral network with people who have influence over our target audience. Yeah. Yeah. Cause thinking about um, that step two, you really do need to get clear on the clients that you like to serve and then you'll know where to go find them or where to, you know, who to talk to that may be talking to your ideal clients. And that would be a, an easier way to build your referral network instead of just reaching out to whoever. It makes it so much easier. You know, we hear the saying, you got to work smarter, not harder. We all know that saying. Some of us may have it up on our mantle, work smarter, not harder. Well, what the heck did that actually mean? This is what it means. Mm -hmm. Get clear on who you want and then ask yourself who has influence over those people and use the time that you have and start doing what you do best. Start developing a relationship and seeing how you might help one another and how you can support them. It's, again, not rocket surgery. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, that's a wonderful. And I think reframing it in a way that, because uh, a lot of people are a little nervous about marketing themselves or they don't want to be too visible. But y- the reason that you're doing that is to help your clients find you so you can help them. So if you're seeing it as a way to make it easier for people that are searching for support and don't know where to turn to make it easier for them to find out about you so they can find the right help. I mean, that's amazing. So that's one major reason to be visible and tell everyone what you do and what you're good at. For sure. And that's, and, and, you know, like you said, it's being easy to do it is one thing. It's overcoming our own fears and our own things. And I try not to even use the word marketing because marketing is such a, like a vague word in our, in our, in our business, we call it dirty words, dirty mm-hmm. words or vague words. Marketing is a vague word because it means so many things to so many people, just like quality care, by the way. I love when I talk to people <laughs> like, well, what's the most important thing to you? Quality care. I go, wonderful. What is that? You don't know what quality care is? Well, I know what it is for me, but I've never met someone that thinks exactly the same way I do. Yeah. So these are, these are some vague words. And I think marketing is one of those words. And when you're not clear of what something means, especially something like that, which is like marketing, we don't do that. We're not, that's, that's for those people. You have a picture in mind and then it makes it less likely for you to engage in it. That's why I don't really say the word marketing yeah. if I if I don't have to, especially with the solopreneurs, mm-hmm. with with the people that are more at the you know, zero to four hundred thousand. I'll just say I'll just say relationship development. Yes. Just develop relationships with people. Just it is your network of people. That's all this is. Yeah, it's um, all about relationships. And as a therapist, we spent years in school learning how to develop relationships with people, with our clients, and you can do the same thing with your referral sources. It is amazing. <laughs> we are all built for this. Yep. Um, so uh, number four, what happens when you start getting busier, which you will, we have to start looking at our time. So this is all about controlling our time. Look, kings, queens, presidents, Richard Branson's, Oprah, we all have the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. So it isn't that we don't have enough time. We have plenty of time. We have all the time we need to create the life, the business that we want. The question is, how are you viewing your time? Is your time viewed as just filling it up with as much busy stuff as you can? I talk about this great thing about 
this badge of honor. I feel like people walk around with this, you know, this, you know, the yellow stars that you had in school, like the badge. Look, I got a badge. I got a big yellow star. And it says on the yellow star, Cindy, it says busy. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like I am busy. And then the person next to you, they have a badge of honor that says super busy. And then the other person has super duper duper. And it's like, there's like 10 stars. And it's like, we, we walk around, especially in certain areas of the country. I live in, I live in the Northeast area and it's, it's, so how are you doing? I'm busy. Oh, good, good. Like being busy is a good thing. I, I don't want to be busy. I want to do things that I enjoy doing. I want to be productive with my time. I want to focus things that move the needle and help me move towards that vision I created. This idea that we're busy, most people look at it and see how much stuff they can cram into their hours. And that burns you out and that wears you out. And then you don't show up as strong to your, your clients, to your people that are most important to as your spouse or significant other or kids or friends. So this idea that, you know, controlling your time and organizing your time um, is, is, is incredibly powerful. And I, I have this time management um, construct. Can I, can, you mind if I share that? Oh yeah. I'd love to hear it. So I look at, Look, there's seven days in a week. We're entrepreneurs. That means we control our time. We have the ability to control our time. You want to see people on Sunday? You see people on Sunday. You want to work on Saturday? You want to work on Saturday. You want to take off Tuesday or Wednesday? You can do that. There's seven days in a week. That's a fact. What's not a fact is when and how you use those days. That's up to you. So this is a mindset shift. So there's three types of days you can use. Free days is one day. A free day, just like it sounds, there's no work. There's no patience. There's no thinking about the business. There's just re-energizing, doing the things that you love to do, doing the things that inspire, that give you uh, filling up your tank. You're going by the gas station all day and you're just sitting there filling it up with, do you like reading? Do you like hanging out with friends? Do you go on vacation? Whatever that is, those are free days. By the way, the most important day. Yeah, I love free days. I want more free days than any of the others. <laughs> you can you can have more free days. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, I told you about in 2013, I, I achieved that goal of having this idea of practice freedom. During that year, when I removed myself from the schedule, because I didn't want to treat any more patients, I wanted to build a team that did that. I took 137 days off. I had 137 oh. free days in that year. Why? Because I had a calendar and I actually blocked out the free days ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So I knew exactly how many days I had. And my business went up almost 20%. Yeah. My business went up. Our reviews were unbelievable. And I had time off. Crazy. Win, yeah. win, win. Everyone wins. So that's freeze days. The next most important day is your revenue producing days, right? Your RP days. And your RP days are days that generate revenue. So this might be you treating your clients. This also might be you visiting some of these referral uh, sources that you want to build your network. This also could be you just taking time to think about your business and where it's going and how you want to position it, because that thinking time can lead to lots of opportunities and growth. Mm -hmm. So this is another type of day, things that generate revenue. And then the third type of day is your admin day. This day is cleaning up messes. This is the day that you just get to stuff. You just have stuff. You have sticky notes. So this is where you start addressing those things, looking at how you can delegate, looking at how you can better, you know, create a process or a system or something like that, which we all need. The goal is to have lots of time for us to re-energize and rejuvenate, really focus on things that make money, but uh, and then also have time to clean up some of this stuff. What most people do, they're doing all three of these things every hour. Yeah. They're working with a client, also handling an email in between a little break here, and then also maybe going out quick and doing a little lunch and learn to a group. And all that's happening at the same time. Um, and then, of course, the messes never really get cleaned up. So you just end up with more sticky notes. I'm a big, I used to be a big sticky note fan. I, I would I would get rid of sticky notes and feel good and then just have 10 more. Yeah. And it would just be a constant level of I'm not feeling productive. Mm -hmm. 
that's the typical person that just stays busy. Yeah. And thinking about that, that's reminding me of a lot of therapists will like take Fridays off. Um, but that doesn't always mean that they have Fridays off because it they're not protecting it as their free day. And I'm guilty of this as well. But thinking about, oh, I'm going to see clients Monday through Thursday, take Fridays off. But what ends up happening is you have all this admin work. You have phone calls to return. You need to do billing. You've, you've got all of these things. And everything gets scheduled on that Friday. Or maybe a client needs to reschedule and they need you need to get them in that week. And it's like, oh, well, you can come in on Friday. And then you don't get that free day. So I can see how being protective of those free days can be really important and making sure that I think sometimes the admin time gets neglected. It doesn't get scheduled on the calendar. So it just happens whenever you have some free time. Right. Which means it's a great point. What you said, two things to what you said. One, that's a difference of the clinical mindset. Mm -hmm. Like we're clinicians, we're, we're trained in, and, and bred as clinicians. The business owner mindset is different. Here's the difference. The clinician sees themselves as a treating clinician. That's what they see themselves, period. So when, the, when, when someone says, oh, I'm not working tomorrow or I'm off tomorrow, what they're really saying is I'm not treating patients tomorrow. Yeah. What they didn't say is I'm actually taking a day off, a free day. Oh, well, of course, I'm doing some notes and catching up mm -hmm. some things like, well, wait a minute, your brain is still on this business. Yeah. You're still doing stuff. So why not just get clear on what type of day it is? It also allows you to coordinate your time where you, with, with what we call this chunking time, which is uh, so many people that we see and in, in that come into Practice Freedom You and our program are just treating all over the place. They're, they're treating every single day, you know, most of the time, five days a week, sometimes more. And it's like, if you look at actually their schedule itself, they're not really consistently full every day. They're not efficient every day. They're just open every day. So they have hours from eight to like six. What happens is if you kind of chunk those times and take that five days a week and chunk it to four days a week, you won't lose anybody. They'll just come in the times that you have available. So net net, you'll be the same but you'll now have an entire day to do what you want. Make it an admin day and start cleaning up some messes and start delegating some of this stuff off your plate. Or you make it a free day and just enjoy yourself mm -hmm. or some combination initially. We want a full day, but initially you can start with half days. Yeah. So, so that's the, um, the, the time system that has worked for, for so many people and the one that I have been using for, for now 15 years. And it's just an easy way to look at your schedule in the future and block your schedule off ahead of time. Yes, things may come up, but a lot of times it's the way you actually have it written down. And now you're able to create borders that then people will abide to, especially yeah. when you start hiring people and you can tell them, here are my hours, here's what I'm off. So they won't come to you and say, well, can you see so-and-so? They want to come in at seven o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And it's your only patient all day. Yeah. And it's like, did you see on my calendar? It says free day. Yeah. It can go somewhere else. So anyways, that's number four. Number five. Now we have a vision of where we're going. We have an idea of the audience we have. We were beginning to build our, our referral network, which of course means we're getting busier. We're starting to manage our time better. One of the things that we need to do now to help us manage our time is to really help us delegate. We need to hire some people, right? I mean, you're you're done. You're you're out of time. You've you've used your free days. You're you're chunking people. You're trying to do. You need real help. And it doesn't mean this doesn't happen before this step, but we had to put the step in somewhere. So this is where you focus on really hiring really good people and starting to organize your business. Because the minute you hire people, now your focus has to be on supporting them, right? This is where the big transition starts to happen from becoming a infancy business into this transition, you know, adolescence business. So this is where the ideas of understanding uh, systems and processes and, and having a process, even a process of hiring, 
um, creating an organizational chart to kind of look at how, you know, who's in your business and where do they fit in and what roles they're playing. This is where the job descriptions come in. This is where that all comes in. And the reason it comes in there, because this is the biggest delegation you can do, is first delegating admin. That's going to be the number one thing everyone as a solopreneur delegates. Then eventually, you want to delegate or add um, clinical services, mm-hmm. right? Other, other, other people that can help treat, which then puts you at a role you've probably never been in. How do you then not just be responsible for yourself? How do you then become responsible to others? Yeah, and, yeah. and there's skills to do that. There's just things things we're not just born with. These are things that you can learn that we haven't learned in the past that we stumble around and try to figure it out. And unfortunately, most people never get out of that adolescence phase. They stay as this overwhelmed operator trying to, whatever term you want to use, keep the balls in the air, spin the plates. I mean, it's whatever that uh, thing you want to use that it just becomes even more overwhelming than it was when you were just responsible for yourself. Yeah. So that's number five. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've been seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of my therapist friends have started group practices and it's been amazing to see their growth. And it's a totally different mindset in going from just owning your own business to managing and hiring other people and uh, just being able to make sure you have a good team and they're all doing really great at it, but it was a learning curve. And I know that they've sought out a lot of support about how to be a good leader. Yeah. It, it changes your role because, you know, when you're, when you're in that solopreneur, you really just have a job. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just working for yourself. So it's just like a job. It's just, you're not listening to somebody else, you know, squawk at you. When you start to hire people, it really does become, wow, I actually have a business because now I'm now responsible, not just for my patients or clients that come in, I'm responsible for other people. And that's, that's difficult. I mean, that's not an easy thing with other human beings and, their values and how they operate. I mean, it's, that's, that's an ongoing challenge there, but it's exciting. And it also is the key to set you quote free, whatever that vision is, whatever it is that you want, whether it's a work life balance, whether it's, um, you know, you know, additional income, whether it's uh, whatever it is uh, to serve more people, provide additional services that doesn't happen without help and help comes in the form of people. Yeah, I think this is a big stage and an important stage to grow to that next level, because until then, you are the only person providing those clinical services that are what brings in the revenue. And you, like you said, you can only do so much. You only have so much time to provide these services. And this is a way, even though these other people are not going to be you, they're going to be in your team. Hopefully you're going to have similar visions and they're going to be able to, to share some of that workload and, and treat some of these patients that are, you know, that may be on your waiting list. Yeah. And, and let's connect how all these come, you know, come together. When you hire people, one of the things that, and you just mentioned, one of the things that people fail to, to include, I should say, not fail to do, just fail to include, is they focus so much on the education of the person, where they went to school, certifications, how many initials they have after a name, perhaps their experience, where they worked what particular skill skills they have, like clinical skills. All of that's important. But what's also important that fails to get looked at is what you just said. Do they believe in the same things you believe? Are their values in line with your values, with the company's values, which pretty much are the same as the owner's values? And you start looking at the characteristics, the traits of a person. I was just talking to someone right before this, and um, he had lots of trouble hiring and retaining people. And he started to realize that, um, and he's in New York, he started to realize that, you know, um, I don't really talk about that stuff. I just look at their resume and I say, oh, they're probably pretty good to have an interview. And all he wants to do is say yes to the interview and he brings them in. And then six months later, a year later, they leave. And um, he started to change it. He started to change his ad, added something more of his vision and what he valued and who would be the right fit. 
His interview process started to change, started talking more about, so what, you know, what are some of your values and how you treat, what do you believe in, what type of place would be best suited for you and, and what they would value. Like really just had those conversations and all of a sudden he started attracting a better person mm-hmm. that would, would wants to be a part of it, that believes in the, in the, as Simon Sinek says, believes in the cause of what we're about, believes in that. So that's really the, you know, the secret, if you will, to bring in on great people, which of course, bringing on great people is the secret of how you build a business where it does create practice freedom. And it does give you lots of opportunity to have the work-life balance because you can't have it without it. Yeah. You can't have it. I mean, you could just not work, but you really can't have that true balance um, without those people. So just including including some of those values in there, which is what we're doing in that step one, what that vision is. Uh, another one would be what the values are, but adding that into your hiring makes all the difference. Yeah, it does. Um, number six is, is the fun one that we all love so much. You, you got to know your numbers, mm-hmm. you know, business, is about numbers. Your business itself, not you, but your business is numbers. We have to look at things objectively. Numbers do that. Having a dashboard, nobody how many clients we're seeing, know what our expenses are, what our income is, knowing what our profit margin is, knowing what how many uh, uh, referrals come in and how many turn to uh, you know new clients for us and visits and utilization, all those different metrics. We have to know that. If we don't know that, we're guessing. And guessing is not a good way to run a business. It can be really frustrating and expensive. So knowing our numbers and knowing the numbers also lets you know what's going on in your business and knowing how your staff is doing. So numbers give you an objective view of that. And that gives you the ability to monitor monitor that without you being in the clinic. That's how I was able to remove myself, you know, day to day in the business, but I had control over the business. I just wasn't there. I didn't need to be, they knew how to do the job, but having, you know, having those numbers allowed me to see what was going on in the business and then have conversations with people and stuff like that. Yeah. And the numbers can alert you to what's working and what's not working. Cause even translating it into, um, these are different types of numbers, but a lot of times I'll ask all of my clients how they found out about me. And if, you know, seven out of 10 of them are saying my website, then I know like, oh, I'm going to keep blogging. I'm going to keep my SEO up. Or if seven out of 10 are saying, oh, I was referred from another local therapist and, and being able to maintain your relationships with those therapists that are sending you referrals. And that way, you know, where to put your energy and effort in, uh, because you can see, oh, this is what's bringing me the greatest results. Makes life simple, doesn't? And, mm-hmm. and and metrics does not exclude marketing metrics. So yes, you have to know where your people are coming from. It just makes life easier. And it makes so much sense. And yet when you're just busy, 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 it just never occurs to you. You just never really have time to look at it or you never have time to establish that um, way of collecting the data. That's some of the hardest things, Cindy, is just getting that information like you have your system because that is a system that when someone comes in we ask that question then we probably put it on some kind of spreadsheet and then at the end of the week or the end of the month we look at how many people came from word of mouth how many people came from this that lets you know where to put more time energy and money and where perhaps to either change it or just eliminate that which again helps create more efficient time and works smarter and not harder. Yes. And then, and then the last one is one of my favorites and it's by no means the last thing, but it is the last step to really get to that seven figures and beyond is what I call patient delight. If you want to do it right, you must delight. And delight is all about customer service. It's all about the client journey. Every client has a journey with, um, with you. Every single one. The secret here is to create the journey the way you want to create it. Meeting people at their needs, meeting their expectations. So if you went to 
the Ritz-Carlton. The Ritz-Carlton has a very specific uh, uh, customer journey for their people, how they're greeted, anticipating their needs. Um, because they know their client. This is where number two comes in, know your ideal client. They know their ideal client. doesn't mean someone else can't go there that just got a free room or whatever, but they're going to treat them the same. They know who they're targeting and they know what their needs are. They know what their concerns are, their worries and their fears. And what they try to do is meet or exceed those every step of the way, all the way through their experience staying at the hotel. And of course, after we can do that as well. It starts with the intake, them contacting you. Perhaps you send them an email saying, thank you so much. Here's what you want to prepare on your first session with us. And then perhaps you do a follow-up email or phone call. How are you doing? Many times after a first session, it could seem like you had a weight removed or perhaps a weight added. You know your audience better than anyone, but it's developing a process of de creating delight in your customer. And here's what happens when you do it. You will intentionally create raving fans. And raving fans are the ones that you don't pay, but will shout your name. You got to see Cindy. She's the greatest. And all these people, all these word of mouth referrals come to you. When you're able to do that, you if you have your referral network with that, I mean, you may not need more than that. I mean, yeah. yes, there's a whole nother level of, of digital marketing, but digital marketing really if you kind of simplify it, it's another way to develop relationships and create the light to your potential people. Yeah. And if you do this step really well, I believe that the longer that you're in practice, the more that your clients are going to come from this source, from your raving fans. Because in the beginning, you know, when you're starting out, you don't really have any clients that you've treated before. So you may have to rely a little bit more on networking with some other therapists, letting them get to know you, making sure you have a good website, you know, finding other ways for clients to find you. But I've noticed, um, you know, the longer that I'm in practice, the more that my current and former clients are telling people about me and more of my referrals are coming in that way. So I think the longer that you're in business, if you're doing this really well, the majority of your clients are going to come that right. way. See, you're, you're, there, there's, no, there's no additional effort to get to a seven-figure business. You just have to do the steps that I talked about and just focus on the steps. Let the results be the results. The results are going to be more clients. The results are going to be more revenue. The results are going to be more profit. The results are going to be more time and control over your schedule. Those are just the byproducts of doing this. So, when you first start as, as a solopreneur, the people that you're most likely going to treat, I know I did this, are family and friends. They're going to feel sorry for you and come in for to you, <laughs> right? At least that's how they were in us. And yours, it depends if they're, if, you know, I don't think your 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 spouse is going to come. I'm having trouble with uh, my uh, my wife. Can I come and see you, honey? Um, but, you know, my dad came in, my mom came in, my neighbor came in. An old patient came in. That's how usually we kind of get started. But yeah, to your point, it's you have to put a lot of energy to begin to build your foundation. Just like building a house, you've got to build the foundation. Once it's built, it starts to work for you. It's like building a pipeline. It takes some effort. You build the pipeline. Once the pipeline works, it will continue to snowball. And this one, this one really starts to snowball for sure. When you add, you know, delivering not just great service, but to do it intentionally and meeting your people's needs and expectations and trying to calm some of their worries and anxieties and fears and do it in a systematic way where everyone gets that same experience. It's gold. Mm -hmm. Absolute yeah. gold. Yeah. So there you have it. There is the seven steps to a seven figure business. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. There's, um, 
No, I, I love all of these and it, it flows. I mean, it makes so much sense. And sometimes we can get, like you were talking about earlier, there's so much information out there that we can just get overloaded and not know which way to go. So I love steps like this, where you can just focus on the steps and follow them and, and yeah, your results will happen. Yeah. And, and, and again, if you're in a snow, a solopreneur, you're making, you know, let's say 300,000, 200,000, 150,000, anywhere around there, focus on the first four steps. Get your vision in order, put some values together. Let's get clear on your ideal, um, your target audience, your ideal client. Um, start reaching out and, and, and developing relationships with your, with your network of people that has influence over your audience. And start looking to see how you can manage your time using those that the, the 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 time system that I shared that looks at free days. And if you want to start with a half a day, that's okay. Free days, revenue producing days, RP days, and admin days. Just focus on those. You don't actually have to worry about a lot of the other stuff. The only other area that you would have to be concerned with is you're going to need uh, to get help with some of the admin stuff. So usually people start with an admin assistant, either part-time, full-time. That's it. Until you're busy enough to bring in that next person, I wouldn't focus on all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. Yes, your numbers are important and it's good to look at your numbers, but don't sit there and analyze numbers and not get out and build relationships. Yeah. If you do that, I promise (laughs) you're going to be an adolescent before you know it. Yes. I love all this stuff. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing all this. I think it's going to be so helpful to the audience. And um, why don't you let people know about how they can find out more about you and how they can get support in this area? Yes. So you can follow me at at Jamie Schreier. You can find me on all the social media uh, platforms. Practice Freedom U, the letter U is um, our website. Um, And uh, what, what I will do this, if there are people that are interested and wanting to um, either talk to me or maybe they want a practice analysis. They want to see kind of where their business is at and what what potential it has and where they want to go. Happy to to do that as well. Um, I'm sure you'll have a link. You can just schedule a a time. Happy to talk to you, kind of think through this, kind of maybe help you with your vision, help you with where you want to go. If if you're in that place and and then you're in that timing, um, certainly happy to do that as well. But um, other than that, if you want to just follow me and 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 get some more nuggets. I do videos. I do all kinds of stuff. I basically give 90% of my stuff away um, because I just want to help people build a great business because that's the way we can actually work together to heal the world without sacrificing our own well-being. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cindy. During each episode, I'll be giving you one small takeaway, action step, or mindset shift. I call these acorns. Listen to episode zero to get the scoop on what the acorns are all about. The acorn from this episode is to know your why when you set income goals. Don't just set a goal of 10K months because that's the new buzzword. Don't just set a goal of six figures because it sounds nice and seems to be what everyone is talking about. You can absolutely have a goal or intention of reaching these numbers in your business, and you can exceed them. But be sure that these goals are coming from inside of you and not from external buzzwords. I know people who make millions and are super happy. And I know people who make millions and are truly miserable. The same goes for people who make 30K a year. I know some who are happy and some who are miserable. It really isn't about the specific dollar amount. It's about whether the dollar amount is in congruence with your life and what you want. So take some time to reflect about what you want for your life and business. Think about retirement, vacations, and even your dream home. But think most about time as it is your most valuable, non-renewable resource. Time for yourself. Time with your partner. Time for your family and for your kids. And time spent with friends. As I outlined in episode zero, I'll be alternating between a fun fact and what I'm digging segment with each new episode. What I'm digging for this episode is podcasting. I am one episode away from the end of season four and my first full year of the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast. If you've been with me from the beginning, we've journeyed throughout all four seasons together, and I truly appreciate you being here with me. 
I'm really excited for the second year of the podcast. I'll continue to be here to support you in designing and refining the practice and business that works for you. A friendly reminder that enrollment is open for Forest Mind, my new comfy, cozy mastermind for private practice introverts, highly sensitive therapists, and solopreneurs in the helping and healing fields. If you join by December 15th, you'll become a founding member and get $1,200 off your yearly membership. Visit mountainpracticejourneys.com slash forestmind for more information and to claim your spot in this small, cozy, supportive group. Thank you so much for joining me today on your private practice journey. For episode 40, I want to talk a little bit about magic and its special place in my business and in life. In the meantime, join me over on Instagram at Mountain Practice Journeys. There's no way you can know how much it means to me that you choose to join me here as I share all things related to private practice. Please subscribe so you don't miss a step. For more information about this episode, visit the show notes page at mountainpracticejourneys.com slash podcast. I truly appreciate you trailblazers. Your mountain is within reach. Journey on.